Hey there! Are you a crime scene investigator, law enforcement officer, or forensic scientist looking for a Facebook community that understands you? Check out Taction USA's forensic product groups. You'll find blogs, articles, information, and community. For those of us in the investigative field, there are not many lines of support out there, but Taction USA is a company that was founded by law enforcement for law enforcement. Subscribe today to get access to exclusive content. Just look for Taction USA in Facebook groups. Crossing the Tape. I'm Hillary. I'm Brendan. And we are going to bring you part two of the I-70 Strangler. So far, we have covered seven victims' deaths. Sadly, there are more. A lot more. A lot more. And then we will get into the actual investigation and suspects. Yes, where there are even more victims. Unfortunately. But... Thus far, as you mentioned, seven victims... Uh, pretty much all their bodies dumped, usually naked, after being strangled to death, dumped in rural, rural areas, areas off of Interstate 70 in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, different parts. It seems like a lot of it centers around Ohio, Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, but they were all... Many of them were seen before being taken. Yes. And they were all taken from about a four-block radius. Mm-hmm. Usually seen leaving gay bars and clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and most or all of the victims were known or speculated to be gay prostitutes. Right. Many of them in their teens or early 20s. Yes. So the victim has, or rather the killer has a particular victim he looks out for. Right. Before we explain the suspects, the police task force uncovered during their investigation, like we mentioned before, after the third victim, the task force was formed, and it seems to this point they've just been keeping up with new victims as they come, but yeah, there haven't been any significant breaks No, to this point. Um, so the task force did identify some suspects, and we will discuss them as well as, again, unfortunately, several more victims. So, Jean Talbot was found strangled in May of 1989. Now, the last victim we discussed in the last episode was October of 1987. Yeah, so, so there's another, a gap. Another gap. Another gap, like we saw before, mm-hmm. but a longer one. Yes, but that doesn't seem to last. No. May of 1989, Jean Talbot was found strangled uh, near a stream in Ohio, like so many of the other victims, but there's really nothing else known about Talbot, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Elliott was a 26-year-old found only in his underwear in August of 1989, so just a couple months after Talbot. It's interesting the suspect began killing more often again. Mm-hmm. So we've seen in the past, he takes a year off or right. a year doing something else that wasn't and connected to this case. several months go usually go in between each killing, yes. is what I noticed in the research. Mm-hmm. Um, Elliott was also a gay man, and unfortunately, a prostitute as well. Clay Boatman was 32 and the next victim of the I-70 Strangler. He was a nurse who was reported missing in August of 1990. 
last seen leaving his apartment, headed to a gay bar. His body was found in a ditch by some kids who sadly came upon him. Mm -hmm. He had been strangled, and his family denied that he was gay. Which, there's a couple victims like that. Right, Their family yeah. members either didn't know or, or insisted it. they weren't. Yeah. And it's not for us to say whether or not right. that's accurate. It's just the last person to see Clay Boatman headed out stated, well, I know he was yes. going to this gay bar. Yeah. Thomas Clevenger Jr. was only 19 when he disappeared. He was found 1990 naked and near an old railroad track. Clevenger had a rough childhood and began a criminal lifestyle at a very young age. At 14 years old, he stabbed his school's headmaster and later was diagnosed with a learning disability. So this kid's really up against it. Yeah. He turned to prostitution to earn money. His family also never believed he was gay. Possibly just found a way to make some cash with yeah. nothing else going for him in his life. Yeah. Otto Becker was 42 the final victim for now, and the oldest. So, significant jump. Most of these guys are in their yeah, teens. teens or 20s. And then Otto was 42. He was found in a ditch off of a rural road in October of 1991. Witnesses told police he was seen with two unknown males the day he disappeared, and many said they saw him being held down. Investigators attempted to identify those two men, but couldn't confirm the identity of either. So now it's time for us to get into the suspects of these murders and why this case is considered unsolved. But first, a word from the good people of the National Investigative Training Academy. If you are looking for a career change or to expand your knowledge in an already established one, look no further than the National Investigative Training Academy. The National Investigative Training Academy, or NIDA, N-I-T-A, has well over 100 courses with 70 professional development ones alone. NIDA is constantly adding to their course catalog, and courses are focused on private investigation and security fields. Whether you would like to become a private investigator or you need continuing education for your investigative or security career, the National Investigative Training Academy is for you. All courses offered are 100% online and do at your own pace. Once completed, you will receive a certificate in that course. Sign up today at investigativeacademy.com. Make sure when you sign up for your courses, you mention we sent you there. We encourage you to get the best investigative and security training possible today. When you sign up, mention our brand ambassador code, BA2367. That's BA2367. And you can find those courses at investigativeacademy.com. Look for links in our show notes as well. By the early 1990s, police investigated several potential suspects, including an Indianapolis rapist who victimized several young boys and admitted to paying Dale Boyd Baker for sex. He was one of the early victims. Mm -hmm. Baker was the Strangler's third victim. This man identified killing, denied rather, killing Baker and eventually passed a polygraph test and was ruled out as the killer. Mm -hmm. So he did have some involvement right. with Dale Boyd, but he but was he not the man who killer. killed him. Police also looked into a convicted serial killer from Illinois who was on death row for similar murders. As additional murders were being linked to him, the serial killer offered to confess all of his crimes in the hopes of avoiding execution. He eventually detailed 21 murders, Oof. but none of those victims Jeez. were those of the I-70 Strangler. 
Yikes. So this is just a totally separate Another dude one. with 21 kills. In Look addition, it. his methods differed, and he was only active from 1984 to 1986, hmm. and that ruled him out as well. 21 murders in two years? That is extreme. Yeah. <clears throat> Eventually, police landed on another suspect in 1998, after receiving a tip regarding the unknown man seen with Michael Riley just which, prior to his disappearance. Which we pointed out in the first episode yes. of this, that it was that was important. Riley was last seen leaving with someone. Some guy. And now, all these years later in 1998, a person realized, hey, the guy he was with was... Well, the tipster recognized him as someone who had made headlines just a couple years before 1998. And that man was Herb Baumeister. Hmm. Herbert Richard Baumeister was born April 1947 in Indiana. Herbert's childhood was generally normal, but as he grew, he began exhibiting odd behavior. Herb had a fascination with playing with dead animals and seemed to take a gross interest in human urine. Discussing with schoolmates how he pondered what urine tastes like. Ew. Yeah, strange behavior. That's, I mean, the dead animals I've heard of before with killers, obviously. It yes. escalates. They start torturing animals mm -hmm. and it escalates. But urine, I mean. Yeah, that's a. That's more of a, you know, a sexual fetish thing. Right. One of those weird sexual fetish things. And he's having those thoughts at a very young age. Yeah. Um, I didn't find anything that said he killed or tortured the animals, but he enjoyed playing with the dead ones. animal carcasses, even scooping up a dead bird he found on the way to school and putting it on his teacher's desk as Ew. a prank. Yeah. Those things carry disease, Herbert. I was just going to say, my mom always told me, don't touch the, if there's a dead bird, if you have to move it out of the way, move yeah. a stick. Yeah, <laughs> knock it away with something else. Now, Herb's parents saw this as concerning behavior. His dad was, after all, a medical doctor. Mm. And he had Herb tested for mental illnesses. And it was determined Herb was schizophrenic and mm. had at least two personalities. Oh, dear. At least. He was antisocial throughout high school, and he eventually dropped out of college. Huh. But that didn't hold him back forever. After a few years of spinning his wheels, Herb got a job with the Indianapolis Bureau of Motor Vehicles. His odd traits seemed to worsen during this time, as he would often ramble nonsensically to his co-workers and even urinated on his boss's desk as a joke. What? And, and they kept him there? That's the thing. Uh, I'm like, he didn't get fired? <laughs> I don't know if the boss didn't realize, just thought there was a funny smell in the room, nobody ratted Somebody on him. Somebody their cat. But everybody, <laughs> like, it wasn't a secret that yeah. Maya Herb went in Dave's office and peed on his desk. It's weird. Yeah. But I guess the 70s were a different time, man. Now, in 1971, during his time at the BMV, Bowmeister met and married a woman named Julie Sater and later had three children with her. <clears throat> Herb's antics worsened as the 70s progressed, and he would lose his BMV position, not for urinating on the boss's desk, but because he decided to take a letter addressed to the Indiana governor's office and urinate on that before sending it. So he's sending pee to the governor's office. That got him fired. Yeah, and they said, all right, Herb, no that's more too much. The desk is one thing. Nobody liked Dave. But this, too much. Now in the late I'm, 80s. I'm, I'm also surprised at like 
how many I don't know because you those are only the stories that we know about with his behavior right how many things did Weird he do that he just got a pass right that no you none know? of his you know the friend that witnessed it was never contacted for any of right. this research or any of the books written about him how many funky things did he do if we know for a fact he peed on a letter to send to the governor right now in the late 80s herb and julie opened their own thrift store after gained some experience working in a similar store once he left the bmv or was you know thrown out on his yeah. rear soon a second store was open and the couple quickly became respected business people in their area hmm. They purchased a large manor called Fox Hollow in 1991, and life was beautiful. Until it wasn't. Herb's strange behavior persisted during marriage, and according to Julie, in 25 years of marriage, they only had sex six times. And she got pregnant three times. Three of those six. Yeah, so (laughs) not the worst batting average. Now, she never actually saw Herb naked. Hmm. So either lights were off, partially clothed. Something, but she, in 25 years, she had no idea what her husband looked like and nude. Huh. He seemed to have some sort of complex about being undressed in front of his wife. Hmm. That's strange. Yeah. Julie took the children on frequent trips to visit Herb's mother, but Herb always stayed behind to tend to the business. So there Uh, were... There were times when she wasn't home. Right. Times when he was... Alone. Yes. While the... The mice would play, as they say. Mm -hmm. Now, everything that I just read, if you recall from the FBI profiler, Mm -hmm. the profile they created of the I-70 Strangler, respected by their community. Forties. In a loveless marriage. Yeah. Yeah. In 1992, Indianapolis police were contacted by a man named Tony Harris, who believed his friend... Roger Goodlett, who had been reported missing, was killed by a, na- a man named Brian Smart. Mm. Harris had been courted by Smart and decided to join him at his large manor for a good time. Mm-hmm. That's when Smart explained his love and desire for erotic asphyxiation. So, sexual strangulation, mm-hmm. if you will. Tony obliged, choking Smart to his satisfaction, and when Smart decided he wanted to return the favor, things went a bit too far. Harris found himself fearing for his life and even faked his own death to get Smart to stop. Wow. Yeah. So he, you know, closed his eyes, went limp, and then Smart checked on him to make Mm -hmm. sure he was still alive. Uh Smart told Harris, you know, you got to be careful. There's been accidents with this kind of thing before. Harris had a realization that the last time he saw Goodlett, he was leaving a club with Brian Smart. Hmm. Harris confronted Smart, asked him about, you know, well, was Roger one of these accidents? Yeah. <clears throat> but Smart kind of, he'd been drinking and may have mm-hmm. taken some drugs and kind of wasn't really responsive, so he didn't get any real information out of him. Harris memorized the license plate of Smart's vehicle as he fled the manor, and this information was a major lead because local police and sheriff's deputies were looking into the disappearances of several gay men who were similar in age, height, and build to Roger Goodlett. Hmm. It should be noted, those men they were looking into their 
into those disappearances were, were not I-70 Strangler victims. Ah. Different gentlemen. Hmm. This information led police to the Fox Hollow estate, the Bowmaster residence, hmm. and Herb opened the door and happened to bear a shocking resemblance to this unknown Brian Smartfellow and was the owner of the vehicle Harris saw and memorized mm-hmm. the plate. Naturally, Herb denied police request to search the property for evidence of Goodlett's disappearance, and with nothing else but circumstantial evidence, police were once again at a standstill. Hmm. So they've got a guy who thinks his friend was kidnapped and killed by this guy. Right. And that's really all they had. So they couldn't really force this investigation open much further than that. No. In 1994, one of the Baumeister children discovered a skeleton buried in the yard. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. When questioned by his wife, Herb explained the skeleton was a cadaver of his father's, who again was a doctor, and he had dissected. What? That makes it all better. Yeah, it's fine, right? You can just have medical specimens. (laughs) When Herb decided to clean out the garage, he just decided, well, rather than throw this away, weird people out, I'll just bury it in the yard. No big deal. Why he would have had one of his father's cadavers. I know. So there's so many holes in that story. (laughs) Julie was a bit subservient Mm -hmm. and learned not to question him. So obviously he didn't tell her. Right. That, hey, we've got... If that was the story. Yeah, there's a skeleton in the garage. It's still crap. Yeah. You know, he obviously didn't tell her. So (laughs) I call BS on all accounts. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in 1996, though, Julie, kind of calm and quiet as she was and would follow Herb's lead, she was starting to piece things together, and on top of that, Herb's behavior was becoming more erratic as he grew more and more paranoid after that police visit in 92. Mm. Interesting. So he's getting nervous. Yeah. Literal skeletons in the are closet. being uncovered. <laughs> yeah. In June, she filed for divorce and contacted Indianapolis detectives and gave them permission to search the Fox Hollow estate before she no longer lived there. So, just in case. Yeah. Good good for her. Yeah. Turned out to be a great move, because in no time, detectives discovered an amateur graveyard oh. containing the remains of 11 men, eight of whom have been identified since. Wow. So there's still three unknown victims that were buried at Fox Hollow. And all men. Yes. And none of them were the I-70 victims, because... They were yeah. all accounted for. Oof. These victims were John Lee Bayer, 20 years old, Jeffrey Allen Jones, 31, Richard Douglas Hamilton, 20, Manuel Resendez, 31, Stephen Sperlin Hale, 28, Alan Wayne Broussard, 28, Roger Allen Goodlett, mm-hmm. 33, and Michael Frederick Kiern, 45. So all within yep. the age range of the Strangler. Yep. And Roger Goodlett. Yeah. Yeah, so he was, he was found there. there. And Michael Frederick Kiern, they also uh, found his jacket inside the home. Ah. So he apparently kept a prize. Yeah. An arrest warrant was issued for Baumeister, but he fled the country and committed suicide Ugh. before he was arrested. So he went up to Ontario, Canada, wrote a suicide note explaining that uh, his last meal was a peanut butter sandwich never expressed any guilt or remorse wow. and mentioned the victims in any way and that he was planning on ending his life somewhere else but there were kids playing and he didn't want to freak him out so he drove to this other park 
and took his life. Jeez. In 1998, the Indianapolis tipster informed police, hey, the guy that I saw with Michael Riley was that Baumeister guy Hmm. who was, you know, the prime suspect in those other 11 murders on his property. And that thrust Baumeister into the prime suspect spot in the I-70 strangler killings. Now that, plus the similarities in the murder, as well as the timeline, lend credence to this theory. Because investigators allege that, well, the I-70 killings, they ended just before Baumeister moved into Fox Hollow, Uh, where he started burying victims. Yeah, he changed where he left them. Right, so instead of dumping them, we'll just leave them in in the yard. So it should be noted the pattern of when each victim was killed, like you mentioned before, mm-hmm. June, August, October are the most common months. Yeah. Each of the men were most likely seen by the killer as easy targets. They led secret lives and were estranged from their families many times. And sadly, the killer, which authorities were fairly confident was Herb in both mm-hmm. accounts, was never convicted, which, again... We can't call him guilty because he was never found guilty in court. No, but, but I would say you've he's... got eleven <laughs> gay young male yeah. prostitutes in your yard, buried in your yard, or at least you know many mm-hmm. of them were. And the timeline matches up. His description matches up. Everything lines up with the I seventy strangler as well. See, and I'm curious about so, not with the act the. You know, obviously not the skeletal remains, but if the other, like, what type of evidence did they collect off the other bodies? Off the ones from Fox Hollow? No, off or the ones off... The I-70 victims. Yeah. Mm. Was there DNA? I mean, it seems like there could be some kind of match. You would think and if there was... there are Baumeister children mm-hmm. to compare familial DNA. Right. And now, or someday there but, could be a, a break yeah. in the case... Because of that. Right. Because I could never find, like, crime scene descriptions except for... They were dumped over here. Right. I could never find, like, you know, their body was positioned this way. I don't think they were covered, you know, covered with leaves or something. I think they were just left the way they described them. Right. They weren't hidden bodies. They were meant to be found. But I could never find any, you know, what evidence was collected, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Because it seems like there still could be a way to convict him, even though he's dead. Right. I mean, Uh, at least solve it that way. Not convict him, obviously, but, you know. At this point, police have stated that they are wholly confident if there was was a trial, he would be convicted. And that all the evidence points to him. for the victims, for the victims themselves and the families, I feel like there should be at least a better conclusion. I mean... Yes, definitely. I agree. He probably was the murderer. Mm -hmm. But we have resources nowadays. Right. Unless they didn't collect anything. Because we talked about how, unfortunately, back then... Some victims were treated differently. Yes. So if that's the case, that's super sad. Yeah. That's Um, awful. But I wonder if there is anything left that they could at least time to a few... Well, with Tony Harris, the guy who was the friend of Roger Goodlin, mm-hmm. he went back to Fox Hollow, and they had some sort of intimate relation. Yeah. So you've got to think that most or all of the other victims, there was some kind of interaction like that. Yeah. Some romantic or sexual mm-hmm. interaction. 
that well, there should be DNA, DNA samples collected but, somehow. Well, yeah, and I'm even thinking, too, with how the other victims were strangled. It's, you know, in the first episode we talked about um, how they were strangled with a towel or a cloth. Right. Was there trace, you know, did they collect were there those? Fibers? Were there fibers? Was there some kind of DNA that way they could have gotten? Mm-hmm. Well, and others, a couple others were strangled with a rope and had yeah. rope burn around their neck. Yeah. Well, fibers from that. Yeah. I mean, it may be circumstantial. Two yeah. people can own the same type of rope. Right. But, but still, it, it would be something. Yeah. It would be a little more concrete to point that way. It just seems like with that many victims, there could have been something tied to him. I mean, even to this day, it feels like there still could be something done. Yes. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But for now, we have just what's on the surface, and a lot of signs seem to point towards her Ballmeister was the guy in both yeah. cases, yeah. I-70 and Fox Hollow. Mm-hmm. And I mean... People commit suicide for a myriad of reasons, but when you're accused of 11 murders, minimum, potentially 23 or more murders, if if time goes on and things are connected to you, do you run from that because it's frightening and insurmountable, or do you run from that because you know you're going to be convicted and put to death? Yeah. At least one of those thoughts entered his mind. Hmm. But that is the case of the I-70 Strangler, as well as the Fox Hollow murders. Yeah. And because this is going to air in October, uh, there is some speculation, and apparently the people who live there now have claimed that the Fox Hollow estate is haunted. I'm not surprised. (laughs) So, was it haunted before and there was an Amityville situation, or is it all just the horrible negative things that happened? I'm sure it was the aftermath. Yeah. But, so there's your dose of Halloween spookiness on top (laughs) of this terrible story. Yeah. But, I'm glad we covered it, because like I said before, I had never heard of the I-70 Strangler. Yeah, this was totally new to me. I like to look for rare cases and things that aren't covered, and then Mm -hmm. when I saw how many victims, I thought, well... It's not a well-known case. Like, right, nobody's of... nobody's ever talked about these poor people. Right. And unfortunately, I couldn't find much about them and their life, but mm. at least people know that what... At least the names. The and, names were, you know... And locations. But... And there's, like, Jean Talbot, who's mm-hmm. completely unknown. I know. Other than victim of the I-70 Strangler. Yeah, that's sad, too. Yeah. Like, that's his identity now. There's got to be family out there. And, you know, that's the thing, too, about, especially Mm -hmm. with serial killers, that always kind of makes me mad for, is that, you know, the victim's identity is now just, they were a victim of so-and-so. Right. Nothing else matters what they did before. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's a little, a little wrong. But unfortunately, that's how it seems to go. That's the way that these things make their way into the headlines. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't know anything about these people. I mean, which is sad, but yeah, I don't know. I always, I always think, you know, when things, I see a list of people, mm-hmm. well, what were they like, you know? Yeah. But now, unfortunately, right. they're just under the serial killers. Yeah, who name. knows what they were like, but they were a victim of so-and-so. Right. Hmm. We appreciate you joining us. Yes. Thank you for listening. come back again, where we will discuss something equally tragic. Maybe, or maybe a little less so. Maybe we'll cover a crime that's not 
not a murder <laughs> next time. And hopefully something with a solid conclusion. Yeah. So yeah we, we do need, like those. We need, we need to find justice. more of those. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And so long. Oh,